0: John Constantine, The Hellblazer Podcast. and welcome back before we get into the episode just want to let you know that this is the free version of the podcast and all that means is that we are way behind where i'm at in patreon so if you are loving this podcast and you need more john constantine in your life definitely go check us out at patreon.com slash planes trains and comic books and sign up for the hellblazer tier where you'll get access to the entire hellblazer library that i've recorded so far and also you'll get access to the exclusive episodes of the planes trains and comic books main podcast So if any of that sounds good to you, definitely go over to patreon.com slash Planes, Trains, and Comic Books, all one word, and sign up there. And with that out of the way, let's get into the issue. Today we are reading Hellblazer number 49, and just a little catch-up on what's been going on in the last couple issues. There was a two-issue story arc about a pub that John frequented, where the owners were killed by some greedy land developers who were trying to demolish the pub cheaply, and then build something fancy on top of it to make the land more valuable. But what they didn't count on was those pub owners love for each other and their love for that pub because they come back and they get revenge on those that killed them and blew up their pub. And John has to, I guess, be witness to it. He doesn't really stop it. Well, I guess technically he does stop the last one because he's able to convince the ghosts that the land developer, who is the last victim they had will build the pub back for them. So that they can have peace and live in this nice new pub forever. So now that the love of those two ghosts were stopped from turning into hatred, we do find out that there might be a little romance brewing between Kit and John. And we left the last issue with them walking away hand in hand, kind of talking and maybe flirting a little bit. So first things first with issue 49, we got the cover here and it is a very festive cover. And we just happened to time this out correctly, but the December issue of Hellblazer is now, it is the Christmas issue. And if anyone asks, I totally plan that because not only was this the Christmas issue, Swamp Things was the Christmas issue as well. So we are definitely in tandem. So on this cover, we get a bunch of ornaments on the border and then there's a background that fades from the top being black into a super, maybe blood red on the bottom. And in the center, there's kind of like a quick snapshot of a tree as if you held the camera up way too close to the tree. Like if you're trying to get a shot of something that's hiding in the needles. And there is definitely something hiding in the needles in this one we see in the black void behind the needles. uh, There is a face with red eyes and it's kind of uh, distorted a little bit. And then on its head, There are deer antlers. And as you look at this, you might say, oh, that's kind of spooky. That's weird. It's a Christmas issue. But then when you look at the ornaments around the border, you will notice that they are not nice ornaments. They're all broken or they have like vampire teeth that are leaking blood or they have skulls on them. So even though this is Christmas, this is definitely staying with the Hellblazer cover theme. And we see that this issue is written by Garth Ennis with art by Steve Dillon. And I believe this is the first Steve Dillon issue and good God, it looks amazing. He is such a great artist. This team is one of the best of all time in comics. Uh, they did Preacher together. They did Punisher Max together, which is one of my favorite Punisher runs of all time. And unfortunately, a couple years ago, we lost Steve Dillon to cancer, I believe. And this probably isn't the first time they've ever worked together, but I'm pretty sure this is the first time they worked together on Hellblazer. Cause I don't remember seeing Steve Dillon's name on any of the other issues, but I believe he is just a guest artist on this one. So maybe Garth just really liked his interpretation of Constantine because I know Steve Dillon does eventually become the main artist for this run of Hellblazer. And we start off on Christmas Eve in the daytime and John is walking around and he's looking for a present for Kit and he's not really having any luck. And his narration says, I picked and poked through Camden market, hoping to find a single treasure amongst the usual junk. I tried the arty farty designer places in Covent Garden where they'll sell you a dustbin lid painted purple and call it culture. I even had a gander at a few things Chaz had stored away that fell off the back of a lorry. I looked here, there, and sodding everywhere. But it's four o'clock on Christmas Eve and I still haven't found a present for Kit. I have to get her something perfect. Something that's just right for her so she'll see how much I want her. It's not easy with Kit. I can't just ask her out because she makes me feel like some spotty bastard teenager. I need her to know for certain right before the first kiss. And as John's walking, he's lighting a cigarette and he glances back behind him and he sees a shadowy person kind of waiting in one of the doorways that he was just in. And the narration continues, and I'm being followed by a ghost, which doesn't exactly help matters. And we see that the name of this issue is Lord of the Dance. So John keeps walking and he's going through like a crowd of people who are all rushing to buy presents at the last minute. And he's just kind of noticing that this ghost is following him but doesn't necessarily look evil or anything, but he's just trying to figure out exactly what the deal is. And this ghost I should say is like a seven foot plus tall man who definitely has like a seventies vibe, I would say, or maybe like an early eighties. He's got uh, one of those leather jackets where the inside is covered with wool. So it's kind of like a warm jacket and the lapels are facing out and that's kind of the only thing that sticks out about him. Other than that, he's kind of just an unkempt white guy, but like I said, he's also super tall. So John's narration continues. You can usually smell ghosts if you know what to sniff for. Technical stuff, you know? This is an odd one, I must admit. I first noticed him in Camden. Didn't realize he was sticking with me until I got to the tube. I don't know who he is or what he wants. Actually, I'm not even sure he is a he. He's bigger than that, not even an individual. Almost a whole way of being in himself. And Jesus, is he miserable. So as the ghost is walking, because he is walking through all these people, I guess they just don't see him, only John does. Uh, John kind of hides in one of the shop entryways that they passed and the ghost wasn't paying attention as he was walking. He was looking down. So then he looks up and he sees John's not there and he kind of looks around for a second confused. And then we see him pass John in front of the store and John says, cheer up, son. Don't you like Christmas? And the ghost stops and he turns to John and says, Oh, you noticed me then? Well, no, I don't. I don't like Christmas at all. And John asks, so what are you following me for? Who are you and the ghost answers um perhaps we could have a cup of tea while we talk so john agrees to go to a cafe with him to get a cup of tea and talk this over and the ghost says he's glad he met him but he hasn't met a sensitive in a long time and john says i'm not a sensitive i'm just dead clever that's all john Constantine, at your service squire so what's all this about not liking christmas and i'm not sure if anybody else in the diner can see this guy or not they are sitting across from each other and their cups of tea are in front of them So it would look weird if John is sitting there by himself with a cup of tea on the other side of the table and no one was there. So as they sit down with their tea, the man asks, have you ever heard of a song called Lord of the Dance? And John says, "Uh, yeah, of course I have, Christmas Carol. Rancy sort of number, isn't it? And the ghost says, yeah, that's it. I don't know if you're very interested in the origins of songs. And Constantine replies, not a lot to be honest. But the ghost just keeps going and explaining and says, in the 1960s, a man who should perhaps remain nameless claimed to have written Lord of the Dance, but he hadn't. He adapted it from the original, which he then destroyed. What he produced was a song which appeared to be about the Nazarene and portrayed him as a lover of revelry and celebration, whose activities could be seen as a dance. Well, it wasn't, and he wasn't, and they couldn't, but those untruths aren't really the problem. It's all to do with what was done to the song. And then I guess because John sees this guy is really struggling, John pulls out a cigarette and gives it to the man and lights it for him. And the man continues, thanks. This fellow who did the rewriting didn't exactly have his work cut out. Mm. He changed the first verse and added two new verses and that was it. It was simple. He made a mess of it. His version doesn't scan very well. He pushes the rhyming a bit too much and the tone of the thing changes in an instant. One minute there's this getting whipped and stripped and hung business and then the next there's dances and all that the real song is so beautiful and simple. You'd wonder how he could butcher it so badly. And then John asks, but he did, huh? Look, how do you know all this? And The man kind of looks up and smiles at him and his eyes definitely get, maybe like a hint of a smile in there. And I think it's because John is actually taking the time to talk to him because he doesn't get any happier with what he's saying. He says, because the Lord of the dance is about me. And in a way, what was done to the song was done to me as well. And John's a little confused by this. He says, "Uh, sorry. It's about you, so you're, and the man cuts in, I was the lord of the dance. Now, I think John was confused here because like the man said, John only knows the like Christian version, like the Christmas song, and this is a real song. I actually looked it up and there are a lot of different versions of it on YouTube at least. So I think the reason why John was taken aback by the last sentence where he said it was about him was because John is thinking he means Jesus. But the man continues and he explains, A long, long, long time ago, there was no Christmas. But as the year drew to a close, and the darkness of winter lay heavy on the world, and no crops grew, and the animals slept under the roofs rather than the stars, there was a feast. Though the land might be dead, the people were not. And they drank, and sang, and laughed, and fought, and screwed in the great round hall. Long into the night the celebrations went on. A mighty affirmation of light against dark, and of life against death how they lived in those days. They did all those things on that great night while the wolves and the buzzards and the bad black things went hungry and they danced. And we get a three quarter page splash where we see like a flashback of what he's talking about. And we see a lot of men and women in a great hall feasting at a table and they are completely drunk and dancing and laughing and screwing and everything. And everybody looks extremely happy to be there. And his story continues. I have been in the world since it began. And not one day had passed when I did not discover some new delight or intrigue, but nothing gave me such joy as people. I heard them as they danced their dance, and as they shouted to the world their message, that no matter what happened to them, they had and ever would have but two words for those that wished them good or ill or not. I live. And in this panel, we see a dark shadowy figure appear, and he is humanoid, but he definitely has horns on his head and it looks like he is waiting outside of this great hall where the people are dancing and celebrating. And he continues, and in the forest of night I heard them, and I came to them, and we danced together. So we see the horn man come out from the forest from behind so we still can't see what he looks like, and then we see him just burst open the door, and all the men and women are like, yeah! As, as he comes through and he's got his hands up like he's the life of the party. And, and we see him from the front now, and like we already said, he's super tall, And he's still unkempt, but in this, he looks a little bit more happy. His hair is a bit longer. His face is not just stubble. It's actually like a big, full beard. And the horns on his head are not actually attached to his skull. They're actually tied to his head with a belt. And he pretty much just looks like he's a guy from Game of Thrones. He's got a cape. He's got a little bit of armor on. uh, He's got like a really big leather belt on. And the men and women inside of this great hall are not dressed like that at all, uh, mainly just because they're mostly naked or at least their clothes are falling off. So like I said, him showing up doesn't stop the party. It makes it even bigger. They start a big bonfire, even more people join and start making love and stuff. But now he's leading them in a song that they're all singing together. And this is supposed to be the original version of that song he was talking about from earlier, that Christmas song that some guy changed in the seventies. So since I actually know the tune of the song because I looked it up on YouTube, I can sing the lyrics to you as they originally were. So here goes. I danced in the morning when the world was begun and I danced in the moon and the stars and the sun and I came down from heaven and I danced on the earth and I danced through the nights of revelry and mirth. Dance then wherever you may be, I am the lord of the dance said he and I'll lead you all wherever you may be and I'll lead you all in the dance said he. So as you all can tell, I'm not the best singer of all time but uh, you know, I tried, I did my best. But if you actually wanna hear this song, all you gotta do is search on YouTube, Lord of the Dance, Christian, or Christmas. And it seemed like there was a bunch of different versions, but I just picked the first one that came up because I didn't know which one would be more accurate or not. So like I said, there was a bunch of merriment and happiness going on in this hall, but then John interrupts the man and he says, "Uh, I seem to remember something about Bethlehem in the first verse. And the Lord of the Dance says, I told you, it got changed. It wasn't the only thing. Then we cut back to more flashbacks And in these flashbacks, we see some Christians coming and like monks and stuff, and then them uh, persecuting the people for dancing and having fun. And then eventually the monks changing their whole culture and celebration to fit into the Christian narrative. So the Lord of the Dance says, the shaven head monks arrived with their one God who was three and their chainmailed escort. And they looked at what the people did during feast times. And because it wasn't written in that gigantic rule book of theirs, they hated and condemned and outlawed everything they saw. They called this time Christmas. One of their gods, aspects of innocence had been born or reborn or whatever around year's end some time ago. And now all the world was supposed to celebrate it. The old ones were soon lost or hijacked and changed beyond recognition. Where once the people went to an orgy, now they went to mass. Have you ever tried getting drunk on communion wine? Then we see the Lord of the Dance standing far away from the town on a hilltop And he's watching the town build new churches that have crosses on them. And he continues, I was the spirit of the old ways, the Lord of the dance and ancient delight. And as the new customs came in, I could do nothing but watch. And having seen all I could stomach, I turned and I went away. But even as a piece of what was gone, they hated me. History was rewritten so my memory would not stain the white sheet of blind faith they had woven from the free will of their people. And in the space of two generations, I was forgotten. I had never led the revelries in the dance of life. I had never sung and drunk with them till dawn. I had never found joy in their very being. I was no longer the Lord of the dance. Instead, I was and have ever been since the ghost of Christmas never. Then we stop the flashbacks and we are back with John and him talking in person. And he continues, it was a difficult thing to accept. At first, I didn't understand why laughter and love and lust had to be destroyed and replaced with something so cold and stayed. I walk among people from time to time, looking for some spark of the old times, but there's nothing. And then I understood. Though the people were downhearted, the lawmakers and the churchmen were happy, for the people's delight was something they had been jealous of, simply because they had no say in it. How can you order a man to feel good, or legislate for a woman's delight? for that's where their power lies in making rules. We had taken their power from them just by dancing and that was our crime. They hated I live for one reason alone. Nobody asked them if it was all right first. And then the Lord of the Dance looks down sadly at the table and John looks at him sadly and then he kind of closes his eyes and starts to think for a second and then he stands up and says, right, come on then. And the Lord of the Dance says, where are we going I don't understand and as they walk out of the cafe John says that's okay mate it's just one of those pointless gestures us little people make from time to time just to keep us from giving up I was thinking about what you said you see I think you might be getting a little too pessimistic and to that the Lord of the Dance says the old days are gone my friend it's not a matter of opinion but as they round the corner we see that they are going to a pub and John says we'll see And as they walk through the front doors, John looks at him and smiles and says, so what do you have? And the Lord of the Dance looks kind of shocked as he sees all these happy people inside of this pub. And just so you know, this is not the Northampton Arms pub that we read about in the last couple issues. This pub is called the Stag and the Hound. So John walks over to the bar and of course he sees his buddy Chaz there and they have a little chat about how Chaz is trying to stay here until he's paralytic because he doesn't want to see his wife tonight. So John gets the beers and he brings it back to the Lord of the Dance and he says, Right, here you go. Now listen, you say the old times are gone, and you can't even find a spark of them. Well, maybe that's true, but tonight, just watch and listen, okay? And see what you think. And the Lord of the Dance is kind of taken aback. He says, I, well, very well. And then they cheers, and then they down their pints, and then the Lord of the Dance says, It's been, it's been such a long time. And then he begins to smile, and he looks at John, very happy. And then we cut to a little time later where... He and John and Chaz and another guy are sitting at a table, having a blast. They're talking and we get some narration that says, how do you describe it? How do you put into words the feeling of a good, solid boozing session when the six pint goes down and you're locked in a collision course with that radar state that we visit, enjoy and leave in agony, but with vague, fond memories of the night before? You don't have to describe it. Just do it. And then the Lord of the Dance turns to John and says, we're drunk. We're really drunk. And then John smiles and says, I know, see? Right. What I mean is, see, after a few pints, no one gives a shit about what Christmas means anyway. It's just pure primal bloody good laugh stuff, you know? We've still got our own little bit of fun here where the frickers can't touch us, mate. And the Lord of the Dance says, I didn't look hard enough, did I? It was here all the time. And then John says, Ah, never mind. Sometimes you just need a little help to find something if you haven't seen it in ages. And the Lord of the Dance replies, I have been so blind for so very long, you know, I imagine despair would have done that, but no more. And then they all continue to drink and they get super drunk and they're having a great time with each other, but then they look up and they see everybody else in the tavern is also drinking and having a great time. And John says, whoa, everyone up off their arseholes. It's Christmas day. And then the four men and everybody else in the bar begin to dance together yelling Merry Bloody Christmas. And then when all that's done, John and the Lord of the Dance kind of give each other one like bro hug. And John says, right mate, I don't know what you want to call it, but have a good one. And the Lord of the Dance smiles and says, it's the first in a long time, friend. Thanks. And then before they leave, they actually get another pint and cheers to everybody who's dancing and we get a scene that's similar to before in the olden days when everybody was dancing and everybody's like half closed and almost having sex. And everybody's singing like a dirty song and the lyrics are, balls to your partner, arse against the wall. If you don't get shagged on a Saturday night, you'll never get shagged at all. So obviously everybody's having a grand old time. And then we cut to the walk home. So so Chaz is so drunk he cannot walk on his own. So Constantine and Lord of the Dance are taking him to the front door of the flat where he lives. And instead of actually taking him inside, John just leaves him propped up against the front door on the outside. And he says, I'm not risking a face-to-face with his missus. So it's time for plan RLF. And the Lord of the Dance asks, RLF? And then like a little kid, John rings the doorbell and says, Yeah, run like fuck. And then we just hear Chaz's wife say, Chaz, if that's you, you're bloody dead. And as John and the Lord of the Dance turn a corner, John looks at his watch and says, Shit, it's 3 a.m. And the lord of the dance looks at him and says i know you have to go home john constantine i owe you a great debt and i'm not about to forget it and john looks at him and smiles and says don't worry mate we'll call it my good deed for the century okay take care of yourself and then the lord of the dance begins to walk away from him waving and says i will go safely do you hear me i'll be fine myself i was a ghost for far too long but the spirit of the piss-up lives again, and the lord of the dance has returned. And as he says this, he turns and walks away, and we see that his, like, homeless-looking form turns into the old-school Game of Thrones-looking guy with the staghorns over his head, and then he just kind of walks into a pink portal and vanishes. And John smiles and lights a cigarette, and then he walks back to Kit's house, and the narration says, another half hour of tripping over curbs and bumping into walls, and I'm back at Kit's. And it's right about then I remember. I never got her present. So he's feeling pretty bad about himself as he walks in. And as he goes up the stairs, he's saying to himself, insensitive, rotten bastard. Let me her key. And I can't even get her a present. You arsehole. You stupid, bleeding arsehole. You had to go and get pissed, didn't you? Oh yes, brilliant one, Constantine. So he unlocks the door and goes in. And we see that Kit is actually up and she's just playing cards on the floor. And she turns and she says, the Wanderer returns good night. And John looks at her kind of sheepish and shy and says, uh, yeah, sure. Went down to the pub with, with, ah, shit. And Kit says, what's the matter with you? And John answers, Constantine bloody strikes again is what's the matter. I'm sorry, Kit. I left you all alone on Christmas Eve and I forgot to buy you a present. And Kit stands up off the floor and she's just wearing a very large shirt that kind of barely reaches her upper thigh. So she's not wearing very much. And she says, Christ, do you know I didn't get you a present either? Didn't enter my head once. And John looks at her kind of disappointed and says, Oh. And then Kit kind of thinks for a second and says, I suppose I had to get you something. Like, but what would it be? Ah, I know. And then she turns to him and grabs his tie and begins to pull him towards her. And she says, If you ever leave me in the house on Christmas Eve again, John Constantine, I'll beat the shite out of you. And then she gives him a big old kiss on the lips. And they hold there for a second because John kisses her back. And as they break apart, she says, Merry Christmas. And then they both wrap their arms around each other and kiss again. And then we cut to the outside of the house where we're looking at them through the window and we see that they begin to undress. John takes off his shirt and his pants and she removes her t-shirt and she's not wearing anything underneath it. And then she closes the drapes and we pan down to some guys who are singing and dancing as they walk drunkenly home from the bar. And of course they're singing the Lord of the Dance song But this one seems to be the original version, not the one that the Christians changed the lyrics to. And we actually follow these guys for a page and a half. And they're just singing and having a good time and puking all over the street and helping each other home. And they're bro out all drunk, saying they're each other's best mates. And uh, that's the end of this issue. So if you guys have any comments, questions, or suggestions, you can email me at books, all one word, at gmail.com. And we will see you on the next one.